Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Security Token Show. My name is Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Herwig. Hello, everyone. This is Herwig Konings. Thanks for listening and tuning in to our sixth episode, where we will be defining security tokens and talking about the importance of doing so. There's a lot of confusion around the true definition of security tokens, and Herwig, I know that you and I have dealt with this extensively with clients, with potential issuers, with even you know, users of our platforms and investors and interested parties, and specifically the difference between utility tokens and asset-backed security tokens. And the fact that, as we've seen in, in the real world today, is that they both comply with securities regulations in their issuance. So it's going to be important to make sure that the true meaning is defined globally, because the results really do affect matters from taxes to the transferability and even participation in these offerings. For both crypto and security tokens, this is a very important topic. So we're very excited. But as always, before we do, let's jump into the news. Let's do it. So as always, all our news is aggregated from Security Token Market, our news section. If you ever find and come across you know, the latest in Security Token news, please come and submit it there, and we will be sure to highlight it and cover it on the show. Uh, we're going to start off with a news around issuance th- this episode, specifically starting off with Polymath, who just recently announced their launch of the POHO update, which conforms to the ERC-1400 security token standard. Uh, and quote-unquote, with uh, the POHO release of our Polymath protocol, ST20 tokens are fully ERC-1400 compliant, as well as being future-proofed through on-chain upgradability and a sophisticated modular structure, according to the Polymath's head of technology. Uh, now, keep in mind, this is for ST20, not the Polymesh protocol that they've announced with Cardano. Uh, they, you know, we haven't heard any news around that recently. This looks like it's just another one of their updates around their current platform. And we do note that smart contracts for this have also been audited by consensus. Uh, and it seems to be that Polymath is continuing to improve their, their current protocol as well as platform. I know they've been working on a lot of features. So just more business as usual, it seems. Did Kyle, did you have any comments on this? It's interesting. I, I really hope that they can come out with some future plans for their platform because I'm, I'm excited. I love to see all of these announcements for their software, but the, the one piece of it that I'm just curious about is that it's quote unquote future proofed when we do know that the PolyMesh protocol is being launched. And so I'm just not sure how all of these things work together. So I know that they're, they're working hard building great tech, but I think that they, they still need to clarify where their direction is and maybe make a distinction between this potential POHO platform and this, um, this other polymesh build that they're making. Right, yes. It seems that certainly like a lot of narratives. Uh, and, you know, all we can do is continue to look for more updates and communications from the polymath team there. Good on them. Yep. Uh, moving on, Fluidity uh, just made a major announcement with their tokenized asset portfolios, or TAPs, uh, which they have basically written a white paper Uh, basically outlining a model to leverage real-world assets in decentralized credit facilities. And what they really mean by this is bridging the world of traditional debt markets and and merging them with decentralized finance models, allowing for seamless transfer uh, between the two. Uh, And TAPs are that mechanism. And honestly, this is fascinating to me. Uh, Kyle can keep me honest here. I've been a long proponent of blockchain-powered securitization, 
which through and through is the concept of having on-chain assets that you can essentially put into a wallet manager with perfect tracking and then have a security token represent that wallet uh, and have a capital markets product uh, you know, represented on top. Uh, in this case, it, it is a little bit more regarding their, their mission, which is to, to bridge that traditional debt market. So the TAP model, they actually used uh, U.S. Treasuries in late July as a, a demo model. And I'm going to talk and briefly describe exactly what this process is. Uh, and specifically, a TAP requires the use of a special purpose vehicle, an SPV, which holds the underlying collateral and is represented via a security token issued on Ethereum. The TAP model does require two oracles to verify the underlying collateral as well as the legal ownership of them. Uh, for example, this includes information such as the QCIP number, the face value, the issue date, the maturity date, custodial account numbers, and other things that you can think of. In this case, they, they actually stuck to a six decimal place system, just like the treasury world does today. Uh, and in this test pilot, they actually bought 10K worth of US treasuries from a broker. They put it into a custodial account owned by the SPV. And the SPV then issued an Ethereum-based security token issued with relevant collateral attached, uh, powered by API of the custody uh, agent so that there's real-time data uh, powering this TAP, plus also a third-party data source checking the market prices to make sure that they are authentic and accurate. MakerDAO uses a stablecoin in the system to then issue a, a line of credit of DAI based on the amount of treasuries and assets in the, the TAP portfolio housed underneath the SPV. Uh, and then later they refunded that smart contract with new DAI. In this case, there would be usually interest from the lender who would have used that line of credit to go ahead and, and use for business activities or, or for lending. But in this case, they, they cleared it out to essentially close the transaction, re receive back the pledged Ethereum token, and then uh, basically went and sold the treasuries back to the broker, ending the, the transaction. Now, um, this seems like it's it certainly advanced and it seems maybe as a primitive use case, but this is really, you know, to me, the framework for what uh, is going to power debt markets in the future. I happen to believe that blockchain-powered securitization is, is probably actually one of the number one use cases for blockchain in capital markets. Sure, tokenized equities and other use cases are, are right now specifically the focus. Um, but uh, at the scale we're talking about, this is and the, the, the reality of the infrastructure and technology coming into existence with Fluidity's model here shows you that it's around the corner, and I believe mass adoption is not far away. Um, that's actually why I'm going to make Fluidity my company of the week, because it is such a, a uh, big uh, step forward, I think. And again, one of those use cases within the capital market side, specifically on the debt side, that you know often gets underlooked uh, when, when we look at the security token industry. Uh, this, this is a big announcement, so Kyle, I do want to hear your comments as well. I'm incredibly excited. I think that you hit the nail on the head with the real underlying potential value here, so much so that we may even need to do a specific episode on blockchain-powered securitization and Absolutely. what the makeup is there. Because I think that you may have listeners that are incredibly interested now that you've, you've detailed this whole white paper, may go check it out themselves, and may really want to figure out how this can drastically impact our entire capital market. Um, I think that, that 
what goes unsaid that, that you certainly know and, and implied is, is in terms of the debt markets being multiple times larger than equities markets. And, and so when you're talking about all of these debt products, it's just an overwhelmingly larger market than any public securities, any stocks or, or anything else that you're seeing in the securities markets. Debt trumps it by far. And so because of that, it just it seems very natural that this needs to be something that we're focusing on. And blockchain really does seem to add tremendous value into actually creating these products and securing the collateralization and a lot of those other pieces to it. So it's incredibly exciting. I love debt. We, we both have talked about this extensively and, and we know that there are many others doing it as well. But listeners, if don't, don't undervalue debt products just because they're fixed income, just because they're not as sexy or fun as, as equities markets because that, that's where the, the, the foundation of our markets and capital markets in general are, are built upon. So very, very exciting. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm a big fan of also Provenance by, by Michael Cagney, who's been doing a lot of work in this space as well. And he, he mentioned in one of his presentations, there's something like 200 basis points worth of value improvement uh, within this process. So given the fact that these are you know, multi-trillion dollar markets, I think uh, you know, the, the, that has a massive impact. Um, moving on, TokenSoft recently announced a new service their KYB or Know Your Business service for enhanced entity due diligence. And this is in response to a you know, new set of rules from FinCEN's amendment to the Bank Secrecy Act, which requires further proper due diligence procedures for issuers to follow when it comes to verifying uh, financial institutions and the like. Um, so it seems like they, they may be on the edge with something here that not many people are thinking of. They claim that, you know, on average, people who provide KYB services take around 10 days and they've managed to bring that process down to just a few hours. So Mason and team, congrats on what looks like definitely a massive efficiency that you've brought to market and something that seems to be very timely based on, on the new rules. Uh, Coinbase backed Securitize uh, announced recently their 10th token using its platform. Uh, this is, you know, I think another milestone. Securitize is a, a leader in the industry and certainly a lot of eyes are on them. So when they can make big milestones and I'm sure they will continue. I know they have a bigger pipeline even. So this number is only going to grow and faster. Um, but it's great to see that real projects are getting issued. At the end of the day, 10 tokens, it means that there is one step closer to 10 tokens being available on exchanges, whether it's you know, via international investors or you know, getting it one step closer to the lockup being over and going onto the exchange. So Securitize is one of those leaders making that all happen. And it's great to see that we now have a bit of an insight also to their progress, as well as you know, a bit of a benchmark for other issuance platforms to compare themselves to uh, and beat if they can. Uh, Trust Token, which is a, an issuer with many currency-pecked stablecoins, um, actually recently partnered up with the Prime Exchange Network. The Prime Exchange Network in itself is also news. It is a, a recently announced product by Prime Trust that allows for the, quote, fast, secure, and API-driven uh, uh, processes for to transfer any asset between Prime Trust account holders in real time, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Hmm. Um, that, that's pretty serious. For those of you who don't know, Prime Trust is a major player in the crowdfunding ecosystem and cryptocurrency ecosystem. 
Uh, and I think this is great for Trust Token, who is you know continuously trying to create adoption for their stable coins uh, around the world. And you know now we can actually very easily take assets and use this stable coin, whether it be pegged to the U.S. dollar or the Australian or the Canadian or some of their other products uh, to transfer in real time using the Prime Exchange. Uh, I'm excited to see what kind of use cases and adoption unfolds from this. I know for the very little time that it's been in private beta, it's already received a lot of interest. Uh, we're going to now move on to uh, some exchange news. Uh, OKX, which is one of the bigger and more popular cryptocurrency exchanges, recently celebrated uh, one year of headquarters in Malta as part of their strategic plan and also a new joint venture with the Malta Stock Exchange. Uh, they'll be launching the OKMSX, I can only assume that stands for the OK Malta Stock Exchange, uh, which is specifically defined uh, to focus on security tokens. Um, and this comes right after you know, last week's announcement with the, the Malta fo STO focus legislation that they plan to be rolling out. Um, and, uh, you know, further proof that the Maltese island, uh, the island of Malta, is further defining itself within the security token ecosystem. Uh, you know, that's only great news. And, and proof that also there are plenty of exchanges planning to come live in next year, within 2020. Uh, Overstock, which is the owner of T0, did a very interesting move as well recently. They announced uh, a September 23rd dividend date uh, and the first dividend of its kind, as far as I know it, on public markets. For every 10 common shares of Overstock that you own, you will be receiving one A1 preferred security token. For those who listened to uh, a couple of podcasts prior, we announced the news of the A1 preferred security token, which is essentially the digital security version of, of preferred AA shares from Overstock. And they will be exclusively, of course, listed on T0. So for those who do receive the, the dividend, which is distributed on November 15th, you know, I believe you'll have to work with Dinosaur and claim them on T0, etc. Uh, and it also means we'll have yet another token, uh, at least around November 15th, trading on T0. I'm actually personally, Kyle, really interested to see the secondary market activity once it gets listed, as well as potentially the drive that Overstock might be getting now from, from security token interested people, as well as capital markets saying, hey, I want exposure to this great 10 to 1 uh, ratio. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this, Kyle? I know you're shaking there. I am totally agree. I think it's exciting. It's, it forces a lot of their shareholders to at least acknowledge that security tokens are a thing. And, and they have to address the fact that, hey, look, I am eligible to claim this dividend. So it opens up an entire new market of security token holders. And so this is, this is tremendous. I think you're totally right. In my curiosity lies in the price action here, the price discovery rather. And and how this token performs because from what we've been able to gather from these announcements this, this should be the same value in terms of, of what is being provided in terms of the equity representation it should be the same value price-wise in in us dollars as the traditional stock to buy from from any broker so how much of a discount or premium will be applied to the security token variant that potentially has more or less liquidity. And presumably over time, these things should mirror each other. Um, but we'll see what happens. It's, it's incredibly interesting and, and uh, does nothing but, but good for our industry in terms of bringing 
traditional retail investors into, um, into the security driven landscape. The only other question I have is, does this need to be owned by a accredited investor? And so you, as a retail stockholder, you could own 10 shares, but maybe don't qualify for owning a security token. I'm not exactly sure how that regulation works. I'm not a lawyer. You're not a lawyer, but I'm curious to see how that one plays out because that also has grander implications. Definitely. Now, I do know T0 has always been structured and set up to support both accredited and non-accredited investors. So uh, I'm definitely curious to, to get an answer to the same question, but I wouldn't be surprised if you could be a retail investor with uh, you know, now I, I believe the only difference is you'll have to use your custodial account with Dinosaur, their their broker dealer. Um, mm. So it would be very interesting. It, it certainly would seem restrictive if you are owning ten common shares and suddenly you don't qualify for the dividend. Um, right. But uh, definitely, it would be useful to have some clarity on that because it's it's certainly not obvious. Um, moving on, we have the world's first STO fundraising rules announced. Uh, this is not necessarily a proposal. This is not a request for feedback or guidance. Th these are legislation that has been moved uh, through Taiwan by the Financial Supervisory Commission, aka the SEC equivalent over there. Uh, and they have approved STO-specific laws uh, allowing Taiwan-based companies to raise up to the equivalent in U.S. dollars around $964,000, um, so almost akin to America's Reg CF, uh, allowing you to raise about a million seventy. Uh, but this is major because in the legislation they identified tokenized securities uh, as a legal way to, to issue uh, using this exemption. Um, and it's meant to be codified and effective sometime in October, which is certainly not too far away. Um, so, you know, this is further, you know, cir uh, circling back to our, our main theme, also important uh, because it is creating more proof and legitimacy around the term tokenized securities, as well as now a potential avenue uh, for a, a burgeoning uh, digital security economy in Taiwan. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this one as well, so much so that, that they are going to be the company of the week for me, the, the Financial Supervisory Committee from Taiwan. So I guess I'm going back to the Entity of the Week here award from, from my end. And, and so I'm, I'm incredibly excited for this for a lot of the same reasons in the sense that, that this really is, is a great step forward in terms of a large or at least government financial authority really putting the definition of security token on the map and really helping globalize the definition and the terms of this. Again, this is super relevant to the conversation that we've been having throughout the episode and will continue later on. And so the fact that this is similar to the Reg CF exemption is also notable. I, I mentioned this when we talked about other regulatory bodies and their guidelines. And, and I had mentioned that I think it will be important for them to keep in mind what a lot of the larger institutions are likely to rule as well, because a lot of this stuff requires interoperability between all of these nations. And so if you're the first, you can really become the springboard for other institutions to take advantage of that and, and in a good way and, and be able to leverage those technologies and, and the progress that the smaller, more lean bodies are able to make. And so it's it's great because it, it will potentially help ease the transition from a lot of these illiquid CF offerings into future potential security offerings 
um, and uh, security tokens. So it's exciting. It's very, very exciting. And, and so company of the week for me is the, the Financial Supervisory Commission based out of Taiwan. <laughs> well, I think Entity. it's great, Kyle. That's right. <laughs> I think it's great that you're actually calling out and, and choosing regulators as, as part of your company or now Entity of the Week. Uh, I, I think we should be will, willing to accept that because at the end of the day, our goal is to highlight the entity or company that is doing you know, major moves and milestones within the industry or, or changing the way perception is being had. And it's just a, an important thing to comment and highlight more than any of the other news that's happening. Uh, and of course, it's very opinionated. We each have one. But you know, I think it's fair to, sh- fair, fair to say, Kyle, that regulators also deserve the commendation and attention for the changes and rules that they are bringing to market. Um, because it is just as important as the technology companies and investment banks and other uh, players in the space that are, are also moving the industry forward. Uh, so with that, uh, we, we will stick to the, the regulator theme. The F- FCA actually recently released last week a guidance report on virtual assets as well as a component to defining security tokens within that. Of course, we are not a cryptocurrency-focused podcast. We are focused on security tokens, if our show hasn't made that clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, you know, we do want to highlight the components here regarding and relating to security tokens. And I have to say, this release is very, very similar to the release from Malta last week. Certainly not coincidental, because I know both of them are working very hard on, on this subject. Um, but they, they have very similar themes. And that theme is specifically, just like Malta, the goal for the FCC, FCA is to define the specifically virtual assets, cryptocurrencies, or how they say e-monies, uh, and of course, tokenized securities. Uh, and in this case, they are defining that here as uh, specifically security tokens as tokens that provide rights and obligations akin to a specified investments as set out in the RAO or the regulated activities order, including those that are financial instruments under the MIFID2, which is, uh, I think, a European-based uh, uh, standard for securities. So uh, this is you know, similar to how Malta also said, hey, you know, traditional securities that are tokenized is what we're focusing on. Anything that doesn't sound anything like it is what we're going to avoid. And in this case, the FCA is doing the same. We're simply clarifying and approving and saying that tokenized securities or security tokens are those representing traditional securities uh, and and what they typically offer. Um, This is a great way to create legitimacy for tokenized securities as well as a way to separate out and define virtual assets and cryptocurrencies separately as well. Uh, and that is actually, you know, all I have to share on the news side, Kyle. So unless you had any feedback regarding that last uh, statement there, um, I'm ready to hand it over to you and eager to hear the latest STO news. Great. Let's dig right into the new STOs. We have one here to mention that, that you briefly hinted at in your infrastructure side of the podcast, and that is with the new security token launched by Securitize. As you mentioned, it is their 10th security token. And Securitize is, is continuing to pump out issuers, and, and this one is, is Curzio Equity Owners. And so it's the CEO token, which represents equity ownership in Curzio Research, which is a financial newsletter that, that the, uh, the team over there at Curzio Research compiles and sends out. I believe it is paid uh, to, to access. And so the Curzio Equity Owners token is 
obviously equity in that that media company or the underlying company that creates this newsletter and generates a business model off of it. They are looking to raise $12 million with a $3 million soft cap. So they're certainly not shying away from, from raising a lot of money with a $25,000 US dollar minimum investment from investors. And so it's an interesting offering, certainly a media play. I, I have not actually subscribed to Curzio Research. I, I, I um, I'm not sure of, of what exactly the financial product that they provide in this newsletter, but um, in terms of the offering, I think I'd like to see a little bit more information from, from the team, in, including potentially more detailed financial information regarding their valuation and how much they're looking to raise, potentially some analytics on their engagement from the newsletter to know about how user participation is performing and maybe a more concrete plan for their dividend support and use of funds. Because as they describe on their landing page for this, this security token, there's a lot of non-committal wording around their dividend. And quite frankly, if you're not going to commit or don't want to put some kind of schedule there, it's, 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 it seems like they just haven't fleshed it out fully, which, which would be a concern for me um, in terms of the product. So, um, you know, I'm looking through the site here, Kyle, while, while you're talking about this. Uh, certainly seems interesting. Uh, it definitely looks like it's more focused on talking about the benefits and use of a security token than, than it is about the actual investment, uh, which is, you know, something that we typically don't uh, recommend, you know, on the advisory side because, you know, this is just a functionality of the investment. This is not the purpose or the reason to invest. Um, so I, I think your, your comments are fair. Now, of course, both of us are not investment advisors, but, uh, you know, I certainly think we can criticize a little bit here that there needs to be more uh, to, to create some more interest. It seems like it's got legs, um, but uh, for sure, I'd like to see the same that you're, you're bringing up. Great. Yeah. So moving forward into an update from a security token that we announced earlier in, in an earlier episode of the podcast, and this comes from the Nash security token the, the team at Nash was overwhelming in their feedback for me and their support for the podcast. And I really appreciate them sending me some additional information on the token and, and uh, getting some great response from them and, and, and their support. So just a little bit of updated information on the Nash security token, if you're interested. Nash is a cryptocurrency exchange. The STO, I actually may have been incorrect, was, was in September 2018. And the exchange launch is coming up now in 2019. So they may have already raised their, their offering and, and are going live with the actual exchange to potentially participate on the secondary trading of this token. The Nash token actually gives stakers up to 75% of all of the exchange fees. So I'm not exactly sure the structure of how that staking process might work with those tokens. Certainly if you're interested, again, look into that a little bit further or you can visit my Twitter and see some of the participation on, on some of my tweets from their team and maybe reach out to somebody from the Nash team there. And it is available in the United States. So if you're a U.S. investor, you will be able to participate. Um, and they're looking to launch a, a merchant payment service, which will drive further volume to their exchange for participation. So a lot of interesting information there that if you want to check it out more, go go research that that offering and, and maybe reach out to the team. They're super supportive and, and, and uh, appreciate their feedback. Finally, Herwig, we have the real bombshell of the week. This is, this is something that, that we announced in 
few episodes ago, it was actually one of the almost main topics was driven by, by some exciting news and it doesn't seem like it's going super hot for either side. And that's with Dreamer STO and LA Token, which was the exchange looking to provide IEO services. So an exchange offering direct to investors from the exchange. I remember this one. That's right. We we covered this as our IEOs for STO subject. And, you know, the Dreamer was our sort of primary example. Yeah, we were excited to see how this would pan out. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like everything is going according to plan. And so I I get this information directly from Twitter um, from the CEO of Dreamer himself, Chris Adams, who had some some very public messages for Valentin uh, Pre Brazen. I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly, but he is the founder of LA Token. And so on Twitter, uh, Chris Adams had, had said, quote, I would like to speak to you ASAP about how LA Token is treating my company, Dreamer. I know you're aware of the situation. It's not positive and it should be sorted out at the top level between you and me. I'm happy to negotiate and settle this amicably. He then followed up with even more scathing words saying, quote, Hey, LA Token and Valentin, you are stealing money from projects. So these are not kind words from Chris Adams. Serious accusations for sure. Very serious. So not not making any comment on that. Um, I did reach out to both sides. A source from Dreamer mentioned to me that it had very much to do with the IEO services that were set to go live. The IEO was set to go live on their exchange. And they made it very clear to me that the team is frustrated at this time and the situation is still ongoing. I reached out to LA Token, haven't heard back from them yet. Hopefully they can resolve this situation promptly. But man, that's a frustrating situation, I think, for both sides. There's potentially um, some confusion um, and, and I don't really know what else to say. It's a shame. You know, we, we knew security token IEOs were uh, a bit of a new challenge, and I'm sure that uh, regulation and other things came into the fold uh, that might have uh, affected all this, but uh, I'm just speculating here. Uh, for sure, this is some, uh, some drama, uh, definitely open, uh, open publicly aired. Um, and yeah, I think we, we should cover this story and keep uh, our listeners up to date, Kyle, if you don't mind. I do everything I can. I certainly will keep you updated. I've reached out to both sides, and, and if I can get more information and clarity, I will. Um, but definitely just keep monitoring that situation, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. I think that, that there is a lot of positive news in this industry, but just like everything, it is a high-risk high reward space. And so sometimes, you know, as we're trying to figure it out, you experience some growing pains. So we'll, we'll see how this gets resolved. Pioneers sometimes take arrows. That's how, <laughs> that's how it goes. And then finally, before we move into the, the, the main topic, I wanted to give a couple updates on some of our events that we've covered her wake over the last couple of weeks. The first one being the Barcelona Trading Conference. There was a full recap from STO Filter that I think they did a good job summarizing the panel there about security tokens from some of our favorite thought leaders in the space. And so the links obviously to all of the things we discuss are in the description if you're watching on YouTube, they're in the description of the podcast if you're if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Podbean. So definitely feel free to check any of our sources out and read more on your own. Give us some feedback if you'd like as well on Twitter or LinkedIn. 
Moving on to the next updates, we have the webinar on security tokens by Dillendorf and Kurdan. Um, this is a live stream last week that we unfortunately, it was on Tuesday when, when this podcast goes live at 9 a.m. on Tuesday. And so there's actually a full YouTube live stream. This also is in the description, but if you'd like to check in and listen to a legal perspective as well as some of the, the leading CEOs in, in the space right now here in the United States, definitely go check that out. And then finally, I wanted to mention a upcoming event. So we, we have something for the future. And this is a security token meetup hosted by Crypto Thursdays, which is a large organization that, that does events all across the US. And they are doing a security token meetup this Thursday, August 8th, where they'll be discussing technical and regulatory standards with, with experts in the field, trying to get as many people as they can to communicate and collaborate in the space. So you can find that on Meetup's website um, or maybe Google it or again, the links are in the description. So definitely check out those events if you'd like or, or, or find the, the videos of, of those things you may have missed. Does it sound like that's going to be a weekly recurring security token focused meetup? I think it is, actually. Oh, very cool. So we'll have very to hear cool. how the first one goes, and, and uh, hopefully they can start to build a great following and, and a close-knit community. If you're in the New York area, definitely go check that out. All right. Well, with that, I think it's a perfect segue and time for our main topic, defining security tokens. And actually, there was an article that recently came out that, that certainly put a spotlight on digital securities and security tokens because it was published in VentureBeat, one of the bigger tech media publications, titling the tokenization of securities is happening right now and no one is noticing. Uh, and you know, Kyle and I are big fans of anybody who's cheerleading for the industry, trying to educate uh, the space about the opportunity. But to me, this article is perfectly timed for our main topic this week because it itself uh, has some discrepancies and issues in terms of defining what is a digital security versus a security token versus a utility token. Um, specifically in this article, they talk about uh, the, the big momentum of the Reg A plus approvals, putting a spotlight on blockchain technology, what it does, even defining in the article that security tokens are something that represents a share in the company. Um, However, later on, it also defines the Reg A plus offerings as proof that digital securities and tokenized securities are, you know, approved and on the way. And, and uh, you know, we have to call out inaccuracies on this show. That's what we also do, Kyle. And this one is one of them. Uh, in fact, for those of you who are listening to our Reg A plus uh, podcast episode, you might have even recalled uh, where we mentioned that both Reg A plus offerings that were approved, Blockstacks and UNOW, both define themselves as not securities. One of them specifically even commenting that they don't even know what they are at all. <laughs> um, but certainly not digital securities. That is the last thing that they want to be, be marked as and defined as. Um, so this is a, a perfect leeway because the whole point of what's been happening around the globe lastly, and specifically in the last couple of weeks with Malta just now with the FCA, Taiwan, Seychelles, and, and many other jurisdictions, uh, where they have been trying to define tokenized securities, almost all uh, equivocally going for taking traditional securities definitions and simply saying that they are tokenized. Uh, but the purpose of this is so much more important, which is that it gives them legitimacy, it gives security tokens operating room for infrastructure and ecosystems to grow, and it makes investors comfort and confident 
that what they are buying and participating in has legal protection that they can use. Um, because without that, the, simply the digital securities and, and tokenized securities market will not uh, foster and grow. Uh, and so if it hasn't been made clear for anyone listening already, for us, security tokens and asset-backed tokens are unequivocally the, the same as how capital market regulators are defining them all around the world, which is we are talking about traditional securities that are tokenized. Uh, in many cases, you can have asset-backed specific tokens when it comes to commodities and things like that, that is the, and, and cryptocurrencies, they all have different regulators. Uh, and when we talk about security tokens, it is, it is tokenized securities, which are often a representative of a basket of underlying assets. Um, Kyle, I'll pass it over to you about your thoughts around this whole subject. Maybe you define it differently. That would be surprising. Um, but, uh, you know, let's hear it. Yeah, I think that, that it's good feedback for the general public because the reality is what we are dealing with is still a very niche and complicated industry. And so it, it is important to build the hype and, and branding around the security token and, and help people understand what this offering is. But at the same time, it is important that we're correct in terms of how we're distinguishing these things from other offerings and, and, and providing that to to investors moving forward and institutions and, and financial services providers. And so just like I've been saying and we've mentioned before in this podcast and in, in others, it's important that everyone has the same definition when talking about how these things are interoperable because it doesn't just exist on one exchange in one country. We're talking about assets that will be globalized and, and trade around the world. And so we do need to make sure that we're all on the same page in terms of what we can and what we can't trade. And, and so... I totally agree on your definition, and, and I just I really do think that it's incredibly important that we distinguish because while these exemptions are valuable for providing the highest level of regulation compliance for issuers, not everyone is going to be a security token. And so it is important as as somebody that's interested in the space or or as an investor that that to look into doing your, your due diligence to make sure you know what you're investing in and, and and participating in, in all of these offerings accordingly. So um, I think it's incredibly important to make the distinction between compliant ICOs that, that are, are really participating in the utility and the network and, and comparing that to, to our tokenized assets. I'm going to run off of that a little bit, Kyle, because it is extremely important. This was a major milestone for the crypto industry, and I know many of our listeners also follow that as well. But of course, it's not the purpose of our show, but in this case, for our subject, it is extremely relevant because even from a tax perspective, how you classify a utility token or a cryptocurrency or an actual security token uh, is dramatically different. And this is why the importance of defining security tokens on a legal level by regulators is so important. What we've seen unfold now, Kyle, in the US is we have the traditional securities laws that define assets via, uh, securities I should say, via the Howey test. Um, and if you meet those, you now need to follow securities laws. There has been a concern because of a lack of definition around utility tokens and cryptocurrencies, uh, specifically utility tokens. And so the 
result of the market because we haven't gotten the necessary clarity from the SEC is that you should issue those tokens as if they were security tokens following the compliance of the law. And then after the fact and always ensuring and defining that it remains a utility token, hence why both projects will not openly define that their, their tokens are indeed uh, security tokens or anything like that because that's not their goal. They are meant to try and create utility uh, and the idea being that because there is no official regulation around this with enough acceptance with something like Ethereum, you can avoid a classification like that. And it's groundbreaking because not only did the SEC approve a compliant way for these projects to raise capital, but it also gave light as well as with a recent no action letter by proof of quarters uh, on how to do it properly. And honestly, for 95% of issuers, it doesn't make sense. They don't have enough resources to, to go through the legal that the other two projects located. But more importantly, there are other restrictions. I'm not going to go into them because, again, we're not a cryptocurrency pro uh, podcast. But at the end of the day, one of them was uh, not using the funds to build out the platform, which is what many entrepreneurs looking to build a utility-based uh, uh, ecosystem aim to do. That's why they're raising money. Um, so, you know, I just think it's extremely, extremely important that this is happening. The U.S. is definitely behind as of right now in, in defining and classifying the different types of tokens. Um, but it is important to recognize that as long as you're following securities law, you can pretty much issue uh, any type of token here in the United States, given a lot of the guidance that has been given now. Uh, Kyle, any comments? Yeah, I think that that's, that's totally right. The clarity is, is just going to continue to be crucial because the, the more clear we are on our definitions, the easier it is to draw out the implications of each individual investment vehicle or each individual asset. And, and this is relevant for even both of those Reg A plus offerings that I think at least one of them mentioned they recognize that right now they are a security but then at some point they will not be a security. You, you had mentioned specifically that they said they didn't want to be considered a security token and they're certainly not backed by an asset like a security token promises. But they even in their own exemption say one day they hope to not even be a security at all. And so, you know, without, with, with a lot of this kind of one foot in, one foot out kind of language, it does make it difficult to draw out those implications and figure out how these things are going to be taxed because, or, or any of the other, you know, huge implications in, in, in the this, this system that we need to, to really understand and, and communicate more clearly to figure out how these things can be handled. Because if one day it's a security and the next day it's this, the next day it's that, it, it does get difficult to, to really distinguish, you know, how to proceed with these offerings. So at the very least, what I think that we all need to agree on and get behind is what we define as a security token. And at the end of the day, that's the, the, the really important thing that we seem to, around the world, be establishing the definition of security token as an asset-backed, legally binding digital token that represents that asset. And so that, that underlying asset is crucial in building a security token and in having something that can be transferred around the world. And, and so we need to continue pushing that definition and, and, and those, that, that visibility moving forward everywhere. Yeah, and, and that's why things get complicated because you can you know, tokenize assets directly, but at the end of the day, if you're, you want to do this at scale, it likely turns into a security very quickly because you have to house the assets into a fund-like vehicle like an SPV uh, or uh, trigger any of the other requirements of the Howey test. 
So uh, it's, it's a super, super important category uh, the, to define. And at the end of the day, it's still a glimmer, a glimmering shining of light here for the crypto industry because at the very least, the SEC has further tried to define the way for utility tokens to also be able to, to issue and raise funds, which is to follow traditional securities law. Um, I think that is all the time we have for the show today. Again, as always, I want to thank everyone for listening. Please send us your feedback. I'm on LinkedIn. Kyle's on Twitter. Uh, and of course, you know, please also share with others the show where we're trying to grow. And the, the more information that we're able to get every week, the, the better quality value we can give back. Definitely check out stomarket.com slash news. That's where we source our information from. That's where we talk about everything on the podcast as well as, as through my Twitter and through Herwig's LinkedIn. So definitely reach out to us personally or even just, just submit it through the platform and, and let's get talking. We definitely have a lot of active users that are commenting and voting and, and submitting articles and it's, it's very helpful for us. If you're a project or, or working in the space, definitely let us know what's going on in your life so that we can give you some shout outs and, and give credit where, where credit's due. So thank you everyone for listening and, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.